the whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hey, this is Bryant Arnold, also known as Dragon from Skinwalker Ranch, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. As always, my name is Andy, and welcome to show number 14. This is Ryan Sprague, who of course is host of Somewhere in the Skies podcast, and he's just released second edition of his book, Somewhere in the Skies, a human approach to the UFO phenomenon. And that's what we're going to be discussing on the show tonight, amongst many other topics as well. Really nice talking to Ryan, who is also a fellow podcaster. He's been doing this a lot longer than me, but he shares some great stories and some great insight as well into the UFO phenomenon. Folks, the Redbubble store is also open now, thanks to everyone who inquired about merchandise. It was something I'd got made just for myself, for wearing kind of around the home and out and about to advertise the show a little bit. But people have been in touch, and if people want to get some merchandise and support the show, that is wildly appreciated. So if you go to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash UFO UAP AM, the link for it will also be in the description for the show as well. There's a range of things on there from cushions to shower curtains and of course t-shirts, hoodies, zippers, that kind of thing as well. And also your COVID safe face masks if you are so inclined folks. But again, thanks to anyone who does want to support the show in that way. Of course you can also support the show over at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast. If you pledge on the $10 level this month, you can sign up on $10 or upgrade to $10 this month and you will be sent out a free t-shirt from myself and I will cover the postage anywhere in the world as a thank you. And if you couldn't afford that $10 going forward and wanted to reduce right down, then of course you could do that as well. Anything is greatly appreciated. It keeps the running costs of the show down and helps me get better quality shows out on a more regular basis too. There's also a new level of $25, which will give you a hoodie, uh, that UFO podcast hoodie sent out, a Patreon exclusive, once you've pledged at that level for three months. And then of course, there is no obligation to keep it on. You would just have to reduce it back down, folks. The website, thatufopodcast.com, is active, but very much still under construction. I am looking to see if there are anyone out there who wants to contribute. Is there anyone who wants to write any blogs? Anyone who can help run a forum on there that's been suggested? Or just any ideas for the website? For me, I'll be getting the links to the shows up there and some bios as well. So that's coming along, folks. I'm going to play a short advert now for Ryan's new book just before we get into the podcast. Again, thanks everyone for listening. Stick around after Ryan's interview and I'll give some little hints and clues about some of the guests and shows coming up over the next few weeks. Enjoy. UFOs seem to be invading both our skies and our news outlets like never before. And more people are starting to look up and are wondering who or what might be out there. In 2016, Ryan Sprague introduced the world to countless UFO encounters that had never been made public before. 
And now, in the second edition of his book, he revisits these events and introduces brand new UFO cases in Somewhere in the Skies, a human approach to the UFO phenomenon. How have these events changed the lives of those involved? And what might it tell us about the phenomenon? With in-depth follow-ups, brand new chapters, and detailed testimony from credible witnesses and insight from those in the psychological, academic, and scientific fields, Somewhere in the Skies, a human approach to the UFO phenomenon, weaves together a story of stories, attempting to get to the heart of these mysteries one experience at a time. Available now on Amazon in both paperback and ebook. To learn more, visit somewhereintheskies.com. Folks, coming back from that advert, that was for Somewhere in the Skies, second edition from Ryan Sprague, a human approach to a UFO phenomenon. I've got Ryan on the line with me now. I want to welcome Ryan to the show and wish him a belated happy birthday. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing great, Andy. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me for the birthday wishes. It's been an exciting uh, time for UFOs, so that's the best birthday present I could have asked for. But uh, no, huge honor to be here. I'm a huge, huge fan of the show. And um, all I can say is we're in this together, brother. So thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure to speak to you as well. One of the first uh, podcasters I've spoke to on the show, and you're someone I used to listen to um, for the last couple of years as well. So it's a uh, strange having another familiar voice that I'm getting to interact with this time rather than just kind of ask questions in my head as I listen to your show so uh, Ryan like you said 2020 has been a bit of a crazy year for everyone as we well know um you're a busy guy as it is I've got lead investigator and co-host of CW's Mysteries Decoded you're a regular on the travel channel Mysteries at the Museum you're a host of your own podcast and now you're an author of a second book, as well as I'm sure we've got some playwriting credits in there as well. How do you find time for anything? I don't know, man. Ask my girlfriend. Uh, she uh, She's the one who suffers most through all of this, but uh, she's been an extremely supportive person through all of this. She's into UFOs, which helps tremendously, to be completely honest. Uh, I think the first thing she ever asked me was, uh, what's up with UFOs over nuclear installations? So, I mean, she had me right there, man. So uh, she's been a big, um, a big inspiration for me to continue this work to uh to realize that it's it's profound it's important there's something to it and uh like you said 2020 has been insane and it's only getting crazier so you me and everyone who's ever been ridiculed for covering this topic um this is our time and we have to embrace that so i'm excited man um you know Outside of my other life in New York City as a playwright and a theater buff, UFOs have been a part of my life since I was age 12. So uh, I, I I do find it a little Jekyll and Hyde every now and again of trying to live one life and live another. But uh, right now I'm just enjoying UFOs as uh, we continue this crazy year of lockdowns and pandemics and everything in between. So, yeah. I can totally feel the Jekyll and Hyde uh, thing. I've got my own uh, day job and I'm a dad as well, which takes up a lot of my time. That's kind of 24-7. And oh, you yeah. have you have your moments where you just put the phone down and go, I just don't want to read anything else. And then something mm-hmm. comes up and you get sucked back in and you, you take your moments away from it. But it's it's been 
everywhere in the news and it just seems there's always something happening just now as well i mean for you one of the most recent things is congratulations on a number one bestseller on amazon how does that feel when you go on amazon and see your name there i it's it's shocking like i still don't (laughs) i still can't uh really process it man i mean the day the book went up it shot up there and um you know I I will take credit as the writer of, oh, cool, people actually care what I have to say, but I would actually have to thank my publishers for that. They did an incredible job of putting the book together, um, of getting the word out there, and um, I'm just so honored to work with them beyond the fray publishing when they decided to do the second edition of this book. Uh, I'd never worked with them before, so I, you know, it was kind of... Um, a new relationship. And I, I could tell you right now, there's no other publishing company I would ever want to work with. They're amazing to their authors. They care about the content and, uh, they have just as much of a curiosity about UFOs as I do. So I, I'm super honored that, that, um, you know, it made it up there on Amazon like that, but I'm just excited for people to read the new edition because there's over 80,000 new words, Andy, in this book. It's basically a new book. So, uh, yeah, man, it's been exciting. I can't wait to hear what people think. It's still early on in the release, but, uh, I'm hoping in the next few weeks or even month that I start to hear some, some feedback about it. So yeah, man, it's, it's crazy. That's all I can say. Crazy. Yeah, we're going to get to the book, and I've um, obviously got a copy from yourself as well, which I thoroughly recommend. Um, and I'll be honest, Ryan sent me a copy to read. I'm going to be buying a copy as well and expecting to try and get that signed. Uh, and I, <laughs> I'm sure other people are going to rush out and do that as well. And we'll put all the links in the description for people. I, I want to know a little bit of background first, though, Ryan, because this is something I saw a few people send me when I said I was going to be talking to you. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the Skies, the podcast, that's how I first got to know you. Um, we don't have most of the shows that you've maybe appeared on in the US here in the UK or those channels. How did the podcast Somewhere in the Skies come about? It was basically a continuation of the first edition of the book. I mean, when I set out to write that first book, I went all over the US. Uh, I spoke to people in the UK, uh, all over the world, actually. And uh, I collected over 200 different accounts of everything from lights in the sky up to claimed abduction experiences. And I mean, trying to put it in a book and a cohesion that people would understand is uh, not reflective of this phenomenon. It's messy. You know, it's, it hardly ever makes sense. It's never linear. And just when you think you have an answer, uh, another question arises. So it was tough, man, trying to make a book out of it. So there was a lot that I couldn't, keep in the book. And that was really hard for me because these people trusted me with their stories first and foremost to put it out to the world. And uh, some, I just couldn't do it. So I I uh, grasped the opportunity to do this second edition and put whatever didn't make it in the first one into the second one and also interview new people. There's, I think, two new chapters in this new one full of new UFO settings that have never been made public before. Uh, so yeah, the podcast really came from that, a curiosity to, to want to keep talking to these people who have had UFO sightings. So I started the show. I had no idea if people would respond to it or not. Uh, I had some pretty good interviews off the bat, but then it came time to what I really wanted to do with Somewhere in the Skies. And that was to talk to people who've had sightings. So I started a series within the podcast called Witness Accounts, where literally people just call in, 
tell their story in their own voice, in their own words, and get it out there. And those have been the most popular episodes of my podcast to date. I think I'm up to Witness Accounts Volume 12, which is going to drop in a couple weeks now. But um, yeah, man, that's kind of how the podcast started. I did co-host another show prior to that called Into the Fray with host Shannon Legros, and I learned everything from Shannon. She is a dynamite researcher, um, more into the cryptid realm, uh, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, but she wanted someone in the UFO world to come on and teach her about UFOs, and, and I wanted to learn more about what she was studying, and I think that's what's most important about all of this, is sharing information, keeping an open mind that maybe all this stuff could be connected, possibly, and I learned a lot from her as well, including how to start a podcast, so Everything to do with Summer in the Skies, the podcast, uh, came from an inspiration from Shannon. So I do have to thank her for that. And it's just been a crazy ride since then. Yeah. What are some of the highlights then from from your time doing the podcast and particularly those witness accounts? Is there any that really stand out as a wow moment? There were quite a few, man, where... um, It really shook me, you know, and it really depends on the individual and... uh, how they tell it. And I think, again, it really comes down to them telling the story. Anything I write down or, uh, you know, interpret is not going to be straight from the heart and the mind of this individual. So there were some that were sent to me where I could hear people's voices shaking. And that's not just because they were recording. It's because they were having a really hard time recounting the experience. This can be often pretty traumatic for people and uh, profound. So I remember one in particular that I actually didn't put in there because I called the the person up and they were having reservations about it, but they like broke down crying while they were retelling this. And those are the ones, man, where I'm like, wow, something truly impactful happened to you. You know, whether it was extraterrestrial, paranormal, uh, prosaic in some sense, but it was still scary to you. Uh, something happened to you and it stayed with you. So yeah, no, no, no case in particular, you know, um, that's really coming to mind right now, but just the overall, uh, you know, agreement to do this and to use your name and to get it out to the world. I respect these people so much for doing that. And there must be an element of that going the other way, though, because these people, whether they're calling into your show, emailing you, whether they're giving you their story for a book, they're trusting you to tell that in a way that maybe doesn't necessarily have to paint them in a positive light or a negative light because they're telling a a truthful event that's happened and it's their story. But there's a lot of trust that goes the other way. How easy did you find that, whether it was the show or, or the books? Thank you for asking me that. No one's really asked me that, Andy. Um, it is a trust that uh, is hard, and it's a case-to-case basis. I mean, look, man, in all my years of doing this and interviewing people, I know I've been fooled. I know I've been lied to. I know someone made something up, or maybe someone is fantasy-prone or uh, misinterpreted something. So that's all part of it. That's all part of the game. It's all part of uh, researching and interviewing. But for the most part, and everyone in the book, both editions, I can tell you I 100% firmly trust and believe something happened to them. What that something is, I don't think anyone truly knows, but something happened to them. So yes, it is a very 
strong relationship you you have with these individuals. And, you know, some of them I talk to on a daily basis. They become good friends or colleagues and some I've never spoken to again. I reached out to everyone from the first edition to do follow ups for this new one. And some of them didn't answer my email back. Some of them said, nope, I don't want to talk about it ever again. I'm done with that part of my life. And I fully respect that. Like it's how they either embrace it or reject it in their lives. And that's completely normal and human to do. So yeah, man, it's, it's an interesting dance when it comes to that, but, um, it, it does go both ways. You're right. Uh, they have to trust me and I have to trust them, especially when they're using their real names, which is something I did request of every person in the book because I wanted, I wanted people to see like, it's okay. It's okay to talk about this. It's okay to, uh, quote unquote, put your reputation on the line for most people uh, and to share your story because it only normalizes the topic more and gets it out there and makes it more acceptable. So, yeah, man, again, it's a crazy dance and I'm not a good dancer. So I got to thank all the people who I interviewed for uh, making the book what it is. That, that transparency with the names, I can appreciate that. Um, even before I started this, I had reservations about using my own surname for the podcast. Mm. I mean, partly because it's hard to pronounce with a Scottish accent, let alone anyone else's accent. But <laughs> also just like, do you want your own name out there? Is it better to use something else? But then, as you say, you quickly have the idea that not that, you know, oh, this is going to get really popular and, you know, you'll be famous. But there's always that element of why would I not? Because this is just me telling the truth or me asking other people to, to share their stories. And it's just all about transparency. And there's probably not enough of that. And there's there's so much in the topic that's not transparent or not clear. And there's a lot of muddy water. You look at the Bob Lazar stories, the TTSA stuff. People are just desperate to find one little detail that doesn't quite add up and just jump on that and shoot it down. Uh, yeah, it's it's transparency is huge within it. So listen, in 2016, Ryan, you released the first edition of the book, and that brought forward stories of the witness, and that's where obviously the title of the book comes from. It's a human approach that you're looking at the human element that's often left unexplored. What compelled you to release a second edition of the book? Was it the timing? Why now? That that's a great question. It was definitely the timing, and I do. I do attribute a lot of that in the new introduction of the the book uh, to the New York Times article. Helene Cooper, Ralph Blumenthal, Leslie Kane, uh, they changed the entire landscape of how this topic is covered in the mainstream. I mean, yeah, you know, mainstream publications have covered UFOs in the past, but never like that 2017 article and to the Stars Academy as well. Um, it was a year of revelations, man. I mean, none of us in the UFO field can even um, can even pretend that we knew there was a secret Pentagon UFO program happening. I'm sure some had an idea or um, maybe there was something going on behind the scenes as there always is. But but that was a huge, profound revelation for us in the UFO community and for the mainstream overall to learn about ATIP and OSAP and everything in between. And um, that was a big impetus for me to do this because I had people coming up to me, Andy, in 2017 that hadn't spoken to me in years or ever asked me about UFOs. And now everyone is coming up to me and be like, what is going on? Like, what's happening? Up to even today with everything going on with the Senate Intelligence Committee, and I'm sure we'll talk about all that, but um, it's... It's bigger than ever, man. And I think we have to ride that wave 
embrace it. And that's what I wanted to see if if any of this that's happened in the last few years changed the outlook for these individuals I interviewed back in 2016, because even back then it was still pretty fringe. And now a lot has changed. The the discourse has changed. Um, the you know, the narratives have changed. You know, that's another big thing going on right now, too. And I did want to follow up with each of these individuals and see if any of this changed what they thought they saw or um, how they talked to people about it. And it really did vary from from person to person. And every few months, the stigma seems to be shedding. And um, and even in the book, Speaking of follow-ups, a lot of these people continue to have experiences, so I wanted to cover that as well. It wasn't just a, you know, I saw something in the sky and then never again. That's what we see when we turn on the news. Someone saw a UFO sighting. Cool, but what about after that? Like, were there more sightings in that area? Did other people see it? Have you seen it again? Um, so, yeah, it, it was exciting, and it really lit the fire under me, Andy, to um, to do this and to continue in this search for answers because like you said the ufo field it can be a pretty uh interesting place to be in and i've wanted to quit and get out of it so many times but then stuff like this keeps me coming back man so yeah it's exciting it's invigorating and um writing this new edition was probably the best thing i could have done for myself and i hope for the ufo conversation overall yeah, you make a really interesting point, and it has just got me thinking that one one of the things or one of the arguments people say these days are that everyone's got a camera phone. Why don't we have that piece of footage or that picture? And I think the problem is there's there is a plethora and a, a massive volume now, a dearth of footage and it's hard to work out the good stuff the fake stuff the cgi stuff because the technology is so good these days that you know it, it without any kind of mass sighting of which we still have some but nothing on like a phoenix knights level we're getting all this camera footage and when you talk about the aftermath of a, an experience or a sighting that people have what i think the ufo sighting these days in 2020 can be put down to is the, a camera phone clip where you're cutting into an event that's already happening and my frustration is always you never quite see the the ufo the orb the black triangle leaving and i always think that would be a massive telltale and i suppose even the the three dod videos us navy videos ttsa videos call them what you will you don't mm -hmm. see the end of the video because i think in our heads we've all got an imagination of how those craft leave you know do you yeah. see the gimbal suddenly shoot off at an angle and that's what we can't see or you know does the tic tac suddenly stop middle of the sea and shoot up or shoot off and what your book i suppose and the medium that it's in you know in paper format is is doing that where you're picking up these people's stories afterwards where here's what's happened but you know here's what happened next and that experience continues and what one of my favorite things and i'm not going to lie i look at the chapter list straight away and i was drawn straight to the one of the final chapters that's raining ufos because I know mm. that I know that quote. I know where that's from. Yeah. And I, I read straight away about Kevin Day, and that was the first time I'd read how he found out about that story landing on the news. And not to give away too many spoilers, like I talked about before the show, anyway. But just to hear that he's he's in a cafe, he drops a plate, and he's looking at the news, and he sees this clip, and he, he and he's like, "Shit, that's that's the incident. That's something I've not spoke about now for like." you know, coming on 20 years and here it is on the news and his life changes in an instant. And that's what your book's obviously focusing on, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. You couldn't have put it better than me, man. Um, That is the perfect pitch for the book. Yeah, it is about the impact. And like you said, that chap that's a new chapter in the book. And Kevin was so gracious to, you know, spend hours dissecting his experience from moment to moment with me. And you're right. I mean, right then and there, when he saw that video on television, something he personally hadn't spoken about in years, except, you know, in a fictional version of a book he wrote and maybe some close relatives and friends, uh, that was the vindication right there. And like you said, he dropped a plate of food. He started crying. And uh, wow, can you imagine like holding that in for that long? And then boom, it's out to the world and you can now talk about it. And Kevin embraced it. I'm sure some of those guys never want to talk about it again. But I think the other really important thing that you brought up is uh, context. You know, with these DOD videos, at first we didn't know a lot about them. And like you said, we got maybe 30, 40 seconds tops of some of these videos. We don't know what happened before it, after it. But then when you can bring these people forward, these Navy people like Kevin Day, the radar operator who first tracked the Tic Tac UFOs, um, he is the reason any of us know about this, uh, everything that happened after that. Uh, that's that's huge. We need context for these things. And now we have so many pilots and radar operators and people coming forward to give us the full picture of what happened in the Tic Tac video, the gimbal, the go fast. And that's really important. A video, 30 seconds. Cool. We could debate that till the end of time. Was it a seagull? Was it was it a lens flare? Was it the camera rotating? I don't really care, man. I want to hear what the people who saw it have to say, because while we can't, you know, we can't fully use witness testimony as the be all end all we have nothing without it and that's what i do i rely on witnesses to tell their stories and um it's up to the public to uh accept that or not so yeah and, and that's a huge focus of unidentified season two which people have maybe disliked i say people some people have disliked that the fact there's no new footage or no new well there is no footage but not the kind that we're looking for there's no new declassified major you know navy leaks or dod leaks or air force leaks but the weight of the testimony on there that's the sort of people that you're speaking to within your books you've got very very credible military witnesses uh you know commercial pilots government witnesses and there's just so much to that that yeah and it's so frustrating that you just can't take their word at face value or people can't do that because they've got a story to tell and for people with that sort of background to keep this sort of stuff to themselves for so long and then come forward like you know we've just spoken to jerry mcgibbon both of us that's an incredible story and to yeah. hear not not just the ufo aspect of it but i was engrossed in hearing about the build-up and you know what he was doing out in the desert and no rules of engagement you know shoot on site people coming up to this yeah. box and like i joked with him about it sounds like a nicholas cage film from the 90s you know like it just sounded so <laughs> incredible the whole setup and it was almost oh yeah and i also saw a ufo it was right. just thrown in there as well and to hear you know all those different um governmental bodies you know cia dod nsa fbi doe as you know is coming more to the forefront are all involved as well you can see why mm -hmm. so many of these really credible people haven't came forward because you know when people say they've got nothing to lose well maybe they did and it's it's reputations as well and is that something you find a real challenge within the book is and it's not just military witnesses but any type of witness that they worry about their own credibility and how they're judged on the back of it 
Oh, absolutely. And that's why the first question I asked when I reached out to these people, they reached out to me was, are you willing to use your full name in the book? And that was that was it. That was the vetting process. If they weren't, um, I considered using a pseudonym, but I really, really wanted to stick to that. Andy, I wanted people to get their actual names out there so that people could reach out to them if they wanted to. Um, and that's hard. You know, you and I were able to get in touch with Jeremy and I I loved, loved your interview with him. And that was the impetus for me as well. I know we go through the same sort of press people to get in touch with these people. But um, you really like lit the fire under me to be like, wow, that's an incredible story. I need to hear more about that. And um, like Jeremy said in your interview and mine too, I think, is once he saw the first season of Identify, Unidentified, he knew that he could now come forward with this. And mm-hmm. thank God he did, man, because that, that story is insane. And the UFO part of it was probably the least interesting part, like you mentioned. Yeah, it was. So, it's weird how that happens. But yeah, man, the um, there were times in the first edition and once or twice in the second where people came to me days before we were supposed to publish and said, I want out. I don't want to do this. I've changed my mind. And I have to accept that. I have to be a responsible author and interviewer and give that to them. Legally, even, I have to do that for them. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame them for that one bit. So, yeah, it's hard, and I'm sure they wrestle with it day to day. And um, I tell them off the bat, look, once this is out there, there's no turning back. Like, people can Google you. People can go on Facebook and track you down. Um, Your employer might be like, hmm, Hmm, interesting. I never knew that about you and and rethink some things that uh, that bonus or, uh, you know, promotion they were going to give you. I don't know. But yeah. it does. It, it varies from person to person. And it's not easy for them. I understand that. Trust me. I denied and rejected my UFO sighting for a really long time until I knew that I needed to write it out and put it out there. And I do have to thank my partner for that as well. My girlfriend for giving me the courage to do that because I wasn't comfortable either and it's a big risk you take doing it but if i was going to put these people's stories out there and use their real names i had to do it too and like sort of set an example for that so yeah man it's a struggle but uh i'm so happy that more and more people are willing to do that like jeremy and all the military witnesses in the new season of unidentified um i don't care if we don't get new videos the stories and the testimony are incredible something like what 25 new cases coming forward in that show i mean yeah i just watched the the aviation one last night the um excuse me the commercial airliner one and that case where the ufo was getting closer and closer to the bottom of that plane dude i was like on the edge of my seat terrified i'm like well what happened what happened so ah i i love it i love the show um, I think it's incredible, and um, no matter what you think of To the Stars Academy or Tom DeLonge or Luis Elizondo, we have military cases now like never before, and uh, some of them are featured in my book as well, and there are some in my book that aren't uh, – have never been made public, including in Unidentified. So yeah, I hope people will check those out too. 
So I'll ask you a slightly awkward question, potentially. So I asked Anthony Lippe when speaking to him about the show, and, you know, I think he said he had something like 2,000 correspondents who got in touch with him, one of those being Jeremy McGowan after season one. And these were people with various backgrounds wanting to tell their story. He said he had a few people from NASA contact him who just didn't quite make it to camera or didn't quite get them over the line, that they were fully confident to tell their story. Was there anything that never quite got over the line for whatever reason and made it into your book that you wish it had? Oh man, that's a really good question. Um, there is, yeah, I guess I could share this. There's a gentleman I'm talking to right now who was in a very elite, uh, operation, I guess is a good way to put Mm -hmm. it. And this individual, um, this is crazy. He he worked both at Rendlesham in the 80s when we all know what happened there. And he also worked at Nellis and worked specifically at Area 51. This dude was working at Rendlesham and Area 51, which is insane to me. Um, he came forward to me, uh, I want to say maybe a few months ago after having read the first edition of my book. And... Uh, I gave him my phone number. He called me out of the blue and we talked for like two hours, man, about everything he saw, experienced, witnessed. And (sighs) I'm so mad that it didn't make it into the new edition of the book only because I'm not done. I'm not done interviewing him. I'm not done putting the story together. Um, So that one is one I'm carefully, carefully working on right now. And hopefully I can bring forward either on the podcast article or um a new book but that's what's hard like there's so many stories you want to tell but uh it takes time and um there's stuff that i'm i'm looking for from him you know credentials and you know i go through a vetting process as well when it comes to this stuff so before i get it out there i want to make sure it's fact by fact that he can back this stuff up and that's that's the big one for me and i hope I could share it with people soon. Um, I hate teasing things. I hate being a hype guy, Andy. But <laughs> look for that sometime, hopefully in the near future. Listen, Joe Murgy, a UFO Joe, will tell you there is nothing wrong with a bit of hype. It's just when you no. go a little bit too far with the hype. And that's not a dig at Joe. I like Joe. We got on well. So I love that, Joe. Love that, Joe. that's what didn't make it into the book. Of the new chapters or the contents in book two, is there one that you're particularly close with or you really, you're really proud of or one that stands out to you? There's two, if you don't mind me sharing. Absolutely. I'll, 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 I'll try to make them brief, man. I know I ramble. Um, I'm passionate, <laughs> just like Joe is. Um, so there's a lot of people maybe in the UFO Twitterverse or not even um, may know the name Tim McMillan. Uh, he is a writer for Popular Mechanics and Vice and a freelance writer. And uh, he's also known to be pretty skeptical of a lot of this stuff. But he did have a very very dramatic ufo sighting that got him interested in this topic so anyone anyone familiar with tim might find this one really interesting uh what he saw how it was the impetus for him getting involved in the whole ufo topic uh his experience as a you know a police officer and also working in cognitive behavior uh that was the approach he took when looking at ufos so um i hope people will check out that 
that chapter because this event did change his life. Uh, but for me, in that same chapter, Andy, I cover a brand new case that I don't think a lot of people have heard about before. Uh, it's a case out of Michigan here in the United States over Lake Superior. And this gentleman, he gives tours out at the beaches in Michigan um, to look for these really interesting rocks that he has termed Uperlites. Uh, now, I don't know exactly why he came up with this name, but they're these rocks that have this luminescence to them, some sort of glow. And it's because of where they came from and a bunch of chemicals mixing together, this, that, this, that. And they're really fascinating. People all over the world will come to Mi- Michigan and uh, look for these rocks. So he t- takes them out and looks for them. Uh, but there was one night he went out on one of these tours and he brought three people with him and they had one of the craziest UFO sightings I've come across. They were looking over the water and they saw these orbs floating out above the water. He thought maybe they were satellites or Chinese lanterns, every explanation you can think of, uh, until the orbs started flicking in and out, changing you know, direction, changing position, no solid structure to them. And uh, then one of the orbs literally shot forward, went directly above these four witnesses, hovered above them, and then shot back out Within seconds, instantaneous, I'm not talking like a slow burn here, uh, went back into the formation of orbs and then disappeared out of sight. So if we're looking at something like the the five observables, I mean, this almost hits all of them. No sign of propulsion, instantaneous movement, you know, no, no solid craft um, seemed to be intelligently controlled. And this went on for like 45 minutes, man. This dance over this water with these orbs. So this is a really interesting case. Um, I've spoken to all four witnesses. There is video documentation of this, which I can definitely send a link to your listeners if they want to see some of the video. Like, again, like you said, we never get the full picture for some reason. But uh, yeah, this was one of the most exciting cases, a case I'm personally investigating right now and hope to get out to michigan when when you know when the world rebuilds (laughs) yeah no that that's really intriguing and i had one of those little zone out moments there where i was you know when you're talking about watching unidentified and the the pilots describing the orb coming closer to the plane and getting there closer and it's I, i get that with this this topic and when i hear those stories and you just get engrossed in it and it's just because you paint a picture in your head don't you of what's happening the before, the after, what it was like. And that's why I love talking to people like you or the experiencers as well. And some of the conversations you must have had where they're, they're painting this incredible picture and it's just yeah. what was happening. Like Calvin Parker, um, whether you believe or, or disbelieve, you know, I, I find there's a lot of credibility to his story. And I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago. He paints an incredible picture of what happened on that night. Um, I, I don't think there's any reason to not believe him whether things have changed in the course of time um you know people's memories aren't what they used to be you know calvin is an elderly gentleman now he was 18 when the incident happened but it's an incredible story to listen to and that's where there's there's a platform for people and that's where on your show and in your book on my show you, you want to give everyone that opportunity to talk no matter how fascinating the story if people want to talk about pixies fairies lights in the skies werewolves you know abductions being taken on a, a tour around the galaxy you know all you can eat buffy <laughs> included that that's fine because i think there's a place for those stories but was there anything within your book that you you heard that 
it was just too fantastic that you had to leave out or is there anything that you think just with the tone you're looking for that you wouldn't put in there in future i i do struggle with that because there were a few times where you know i i'd start talking to someone and the story would start to take a form that i i just it wasn't that i didn't believe it because i i don't I don't try to put my belief into it. Um, you know, that's very, very hard to do. Trust me, um, with all of this, but, uh, you know, just tell their story, get it out there. I, I do believe every story has some sort of value, but there were a few times I remember in the first edition where things were just heading into really, uh, dark conspiratorial things that I just couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't put it out there because I personally felt it was dangerous. Um, you know, there, there's a fine line between what we talk about with UFOs and cover-ups and conspiracies and just flat-out danger to society. And I think that's kind of where a lot of the conspiracy theory has headed in the past few decades even is um, I didn't want to put certain things out there that I thought could be a detriment to, to people. Uh the safety of people. And uh, yeah, so there were a few times where it wasn't so much the fantastical nature of the experience because look, man, I wasn't there when it happened. That's what I always tell people. So I'm just going to write down what you tell me and we'll have a conversation about it. But it was certain aspects of what they wanted to talk about or what they wanted to bring forward where I was like, eh, that, that's just not for me. And, uh, and, you know, maybe I was right or wrong to do that. But, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, I felt a, a responsibility as an author and as a person giving people platforms to uh, just be careful. Just be careful what gets out there. So, yeah. That's totally understandable. And, you know, the UFO Twitterverse that I, I've, I quite enjoy conversing in these days. And I think it's something that can get lost quite often. Listen, this topic in itself, think about what we're discussing, potential alien beings, interdimensional beings, otherworldly spacecraft, you know, different realities, different dimensions. And who are any of us outside of a select elite few to really decide what is right and what, what isn't? And it's like you say, but we've all got our levels, don't we? Where, OK, yep, they've saw a craft. OK, you've saw an alien craft. OK, that pl that craft came from another planet. Mm -hmm. OK, now they take you there on a kind of month by month basis and show you the plans they have for terraforming Earth. And, to, and then you go, ah, right, OK, I, I think I'm going to zone out here that they've picked you. But who am I or who are you at that point to decide Absolutely. that's too far? And that that is where we've all got our kind of own preferences. And there's, there's so much in the topic that I love to read about or I love to listen to more so these days, you know, just the way life is. I don't necessarily believe all of it, though. Some of it I'd like to believe, some of it I don't believe, but then there's a lot of it that, yeah, there's there's something to it, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, there is something to it, man. And like I mentioned earlier, I do think there's some sort of value in every story. And look, I'm not the be-all, end-all to these people's stories. You know, now that their names are out there, they can talk to other people about it who've maybe had a similar experience or want to learn more about it. So, yeah, again, I think it's just kind of bringing people together and having a conversation. And that's kind of what UFO Twitter has become. And I'm sure we'll talk about that, too. But um, it is a 
a uh, a playground and the wild west but at the same time it's a communication across the world of people with similar interests that we've never really seen before so yeah man it's exciting and i think you're right every person has their own threshold but uh mine's pretty high trust me mine is pretty high at this point in my uh, yeah. logical career I, I would say mine too so listen i read out a list before you know lead investigator co-host you know, uh, you appear in various shows, you're an author, a host of a podcast. Would you add almost therapist onto that list now, given the book you've released? How much of an element of the book is closure for these people, do you think? Oh, closure, absolutely, for some of these people. I would not consider myself a therapist. Uh, no, I do not want that responsibility. <laughs> but that that being said, I am a good listener. And that's kind of... That's where I got my start, Andy. I was I'm a playwright. Like that's my first and foremost passion. That's I live in New York City. I work on Broadway. Um, and I write plays. And plays are all about dialogue and how a character speaks and what they're trying to convey and you know and all of that. All of that plays into it. So I would often spend hours in a bar, restaurant, a library, what have you, um, on a park bench listening to people and just in the corner listening. And maybe that's creepy to some people if they saw me doing it. But I was there to understand how people communicate, what they communicate, how they convey things um, and how they react and everything in between. So I think I tried to really implement that into the work I do in the UFO field as well is how do people communicate? how do they interpret certain things? And the first thing I learned as a playwright was your character needs to change by the end of the play. And it should be the most important moment in their life. That's why we're dropping in on their lives at this moment. And for a lot of these UFO witnesses or experiencers, it was the most important part of their life. And it did change them in many ways. So I kind of tried to use all of that into my into my approach to looking at the UFO phenomenon. Again, focusing on those people. So I listen, man. I, I, I'm i not a therapist, but if these people did get some sort of closure by coming forward, and a lot of them did and told me that, uh, cool, job, job done. I'm happy I could do that for them. I'm happy they were brave and courageous enough to come forward. And I do hope they all find closure because it's very traumatic for a lot of these people. So yeah, yeah. If I can just be a listening ear and get the story out there. Um, awesome. I feel like I've done my job. Amazing. A couple more questions on the book and then we'll move on. So I've got a lot of listener questions and then a few more topics I definitely want to talk about. Is there anything that really surprised you this time round, whether it was in prepping the book writing the book or even the fallout from the release that was different to the first time round and obviously you set up the book talking about the New York Times articles and how things have changed in two and a half three years what was different this time round for you for me it was definitely Andy the amount of uh, military people who came forward to me I mean again like we never got this in the past 70 years of looking at this topic. Of course, you know, we've got the Rendlesham guys, Roswell. We do have pilots who come forward. It happens. It definitely happens, but not to this extent. And I was just amazed sometimes when I'd be on, you know, email or Skype or Facebook Messenger talking to these people who have spent their lives fighting for their countries or protecting their nations and doing some 
amazing things and probably not so amazing things, good or bad, uh, with their time and the sacrifices they've made and the things they've done and talking to me about a UFO experience. And that blew my mind. You know, every time I talk to Kevin Day, I'm like, oh, my God, like, could you imagine being in the middle of a training exercise and having these UFOs here and not knowing if they were there for good or bad or somewhere in between. And, um, that really hit me. It was the, the, uh, the amount of, I guess, responsibility these pe- people felt to, uh, talk about this and to come forward. So yeah, again, I think a big thing for me with the new book was implementing this entire new world we live in, in UFO acknowledgement, at least by the US government who has denied it for so long. And where do we go from there? Now we have to ask the harder questions, like Lou has always said, you know, who are they? What are they? What do they want? And are they a threat? So yeah, I, I did want to sort of not paint the threat narrative in my new book. I never set out to do that because I don't necessarily agree with that 100%. Um, All UFOs are a potential threat. I agree with that fully. We don't know what they are. They could be a potential threat. And they were for a lot of people in my book. So yeah, man, it's been an interesting ride between the first book, the second edition, and now the fallout after the second edition of just so many more people contacting me it's exciting and i love it and let me tell you i've got enough for another book like tomorrow so yeah we'll see what happens ryan you've put yourself in it a little bit there because my next question is what are the plans for the third edition if there's going to be a third edition or would that be a new book so share a little bit then what 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 do you think just with the weight of people coming forward as i expected you to say that because again just from the response from the first book and the follow-on from the second i imagine and coupled with shows like unidentified showing people that it's okay to talk guys like jeremy mcgowan now coming out of the woodwork fascinating stories would you go with the direction of a third edition or a new book or what what's your thoughts i'm done with this one man look it was it was hard enough to write the second edition because i really i really struggled i'm like who who the hell buys a second edition of a book unless it's like a a textbook that you're buying in college or something you know um so i really wanted to make it worth it and worth people's time and the more i followed up with these individuals the more i realized uh They had new discoveries, new revelations, continued experiences. I have to talk about that because that's what I wanted to do in the first place is show that these things keep going on after we hear about it. Um, So in terms of Somewhere in the Skies, the book, I think I'm done uh, with that. But I will tell you this. I'm I'm already knee deep into another book. I don't know when it's going to come out, but uh, it's there. It's uh it's a more boots on the ground approach where I'm going places and I'm experiencing things and putting myself in the shoes of individuals studying everything. Uh, the new book is not going to just be about UFOs. So, um, if anyone's disappointed in that, I'm, I'm sorry, but if anyone's excited, I hope they'll join me, uh, on the journey. Cause I'm going down some crazy rabbit holes, man. And I'm excited, scared, terrified, and, uh, and everything in between. I will only be disappointed if you don't call it somewhere on the ground, uh, given the hype you've just given it there. So 
but yeah, Writing I'm sure. Writing that down right <laughs> now. <laughs> um, and I only take five percent of any future, you know, uh, profits you make from it either for you using that title. So please feel free; it's absolutely fine. <laughs> That's pretty low, man. I, I think I owe you more than that. We'll, oh, we'll if, if, if I've lowballed myself, we'll talk about that off air. That, that's fine, yeah. Um, but listen, in wrapping up the discussion around the book, what can people expect then buying this second edition when they read Ryan Sprague, Summer in the Skies, A Human Approach to the UFO Phenomenon? What are they getting out of this book? Uh, they are getting two brand new chapters uh, with cases that have never been made public before. Uh, they also I have a chapter in the book called A Phantom War, which covers every scientific exploration of UFOs currently going on around the world right now. This was in the original book, but there are new new organizations forming and uh, exciting endeavors that scientists and academics and, um, you know, former military people are involved with, two of which are called UFO DAP and uh Another one is SCU, the Scientific Coalition of UAP Studies. And these are highly, highly credible individuals looking at the UFO phenomenon and using their backgrounds and skills to study it like we've never seen before. You know, one of the most visible places is MUFON. But let me tell you, there are some amazing independent organizations right now um, who are doing incredible things. And I do feature them in the book. So I'm really excited for people to look at that chapter two to see what's actually going on and that so many scientists are looking at this topic when they probably scoffed at it earlier in their in their lives and careers. So it's exciting, man. I, I, I hope it gets people excited about everything that's to come with this topic and the conversations we're going to have. And uh, yeah, please, I hope people will give me feedback and let me know what they think. Yeah, please do. And I'll make sure the links are included within the description of the show for people who want to click on the link and buy that from Amazon. Um, Ryan, are you going to be selling it on your website as well or are people best getting it through Amazon? Uh, right now, the best place is Amazon and Barnes and Noble uh, online. Uh, but I do often do, you know, signed copies, which still amazes me that people would want my chicken scratch on their their poor book. But um, I I do offer those from time to time. I'm out of I'm off the mainland right now, so it's a little tough for me to acquire books and then mail them out. But hopefully, within the next few months, I'll be uh, I'll be back in back home in the states and be able to do that for people so yeah yeah awesome keep an eye on that one folks listen there's a lot of twitter questions i want to get to and then there's a lot of topics not to cool. go into a three or four hour show but my usual <laughs> quick fire round i've listed a few things that i think people naturally would want us to discuss anyway or i want to discuss with you so i'll use that and kind of expand that slightly um so first twitter question folks we had from a51s Question for Ryan, how has the rise in the past year of UFO Twitter engagement expanded your view of the phenomenon? Uh, yeah, I think we kind of touched on this, but no, I, I definitely can expand. Um, I wouldn't say my uh, my views on the phenomenon have necessarily expanded from UFO Twitter, um, but it's literally expanded the interest in the phenomenon. I think, uh, and shown me how many people are interested in it. I mean, I spent almost two decades studying UFOs and, you know, the research community. It was, it wasn't small, but it wasn't as visible. So with UFO Twitter, social media in general, uh, I do think it's, it's definitely widened the scope 
in the conversation. You know, that's good at times and bad and ugly at others. But uh, especially on Twitter, you know, man, I mean, you have such a um, such a limited amount of space to kind of be proactive and have a have a civil discourse. So I tend mm-hmm. to stay out of kind of the squabbles and the drama and the misinformation and focus on my own research. But, um, you know, that's not to say I don't check UFO Twitter almost every day. I type in the hashtag or I use it because I, I do want to um, hear what the UFO Twitterverse thinks about what I'm bringing forward. And there's a lot of bright people that are engaging on there. Don't get me wrong. There's some awesome stuff that happens but um yeah my my view on the phenomenon hasn't really changed from ufo twitter but uh it's just as mystifying and frustrating as ever so uh yeah now i just have more people to take those frustrations on twitter i guess nice uh so one of the early fans of the show so i'll just say a quick thank you to fred anderson over in sweden um how important is the old contactee culture adamski meyer etc for the ufo community today did they offer anything of value to what it is now and what is their place in all of this oh wow yeah the the contactee that's a really good question um you know and there's been some awesome books and documentaries made all about these movements and they're super cool um if anyone gets a chance go back and look at adamski and um uh george van tassel and yeah all those guys they were doing some really interesting stuff um i think the contactee movement it served as a um i guess a pivotal moment we can say that in in UFO history, and I think it introduced the world to a lot of the world to the topic of UFOs. I mean, we're talking like you know, not long after the flying saucer craze really started in 1947, Kenneth Arnold and the Roswell crash, and um, this was the early days of trying to create space exploration here in the states, at least, and probably other places as well. You know, we wanted to reach the stars and. The, those aspirations, I think, kind of are what sparked this movement. You know, it did reflect a lot of our own thoughts and fears and aspirations to get out there and see what is out there. And um, these contactees, they claim they supposedly communicated with aliens and they were warning us of things that could happen if we leap too far in the advancement of our technology and you know, weapons even, or weaponizing our technology on the other end of it. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, no matter what my personal thoughts on the contactee culture are, I do believe it was a building block in the whole overall cultural narrative of UFO history. And uh, love it or hate it, it's here. It's a part of it. And um, I think it's great. Um, yeah, I, I, it once was models, you know, built by one-armed farmers and, uh, now it's litigious dudes who claim contact with like blue chickens and fighting aliens on Mars with former presidents. So uh, it's interesting to see what was then and what is now and what we can learn from that for sure. So, yeah, that's a great question. I'm just going to say it's not slipped past me that you have re- referenced Andrew D. Basiagio there uh, in one <laughs> of your moments, but I'll, I'll go on. Did I? Yeah, hmm. I think you may have. I think you may have, yeah. Um, Listen, I want to pick up on something Fred said there as part of that, because I've just done an interview with Jay from Project Unity, um, who's a really cool guy to talk to as yeah, well. And he yeah. got he got the first interview, of course, with Leslie and Ralph after the the, the article dropped. Um, we were discussing 
a bit like Fred's mentioned there, that we've we've had this, if you want to call it, 70, 75 years of UFOs, flying saucers, research, and again, dropping names. I know I know it's one of the quotes at the start of your book is Stanton Friedman, and you've got your J. Allen Hynix and, and those names. Have we got to a natural point, potentially December 2017, where we've put a full stop at the end of 70 years plus worth of of research and thinking and a narrative on what ufology is and that we've taken a step in a different direction with maybe not necessarily just a younger group or a different group of thinkers but when you've got people uh like to the stars academy on the scene uh deep prasad on twitter is a very intelligent young man who's came along and sharing his thoughts and we now have all these thinkers and people and scientists getting involved do you think the conversation's changed or are we just continuing the same conversation i think it's probably one of the most malleable conversations we could ever have andy to be to be honest i don't think uh we have pivoted and i do think that to the stars and and this threat narrative have definitely pivoted where the discussion is going in terms of government and military but look man for every military witness there's a hundred civilian witnesses whose stories aren't out there and the diligent work of amazing ufo researchers out there interviewing people going out investigating writing books talking to people and doing their own thing um so i do think like we can't just take what to the stars academy says as bible it's an angle it's a theory and i fully respect it and i agree with some of the disagree with some of it but uh i think we have to continue our own research because um we need it while they're doing their thing we're going to look at another uh the ce5 movement's going to look at it their way and hopefully hopefully we can all sort of come together ask questions of one another and come to some answers but but hey we haven't found any answers in the last 70 years so i don't pretend we're going to find them anytime soon but i do think we need to work together on that and i loved that interview because ce5 is something that I, you know, necessarily didn't really look into. And you get these bad connotations with uh, certain other people who practice CE5 and um, don't have the best reputations, let's be completely honest. And that kind of turned me away from it. But hearing that interview you did was uh, extremely eye-opening for me. And I had to keep going back and listening to some of the stuff that that he had to say there because I was like, wow, okay, uh, this is something I want to explore. And, um, and yeah, man, I, again, I think it's working together and, uh, trying to find those answers together is where we're going to get somewhere. So yes, the conversation has changed, but, uh, it continues and everything we've learned before needs to be built upon. And I think that's what a lot of UFO Twitter is doing these days is they're taking what we've learned from the old guard, uh, using that and implementing it into new ways of thinking and uh, i think that's cool i think it's exciting but we can never forget where we came from i think that's the most important part of it i agree and i think it's a little bit like you know when you were at school and you would have a topic to discuss and you would be split into groups and you weren't always with your friends and you would get put with someone you didn't like or the smelly kid you know you might have been the smelly <laughs> kid who knows and they would send everyone away in different groups to research the same topic and then you'd all come back and do a presentation on the same topic but you would all have different ideas and you would have found out different things and i think where we're at in ufologists 
euphology just now is we're, we're great at going away in all these different groups and we have some incredible groups like, i can't stress yeah. that enough that are going in all different directions you know some of them are governmental some of them started by rock stars some of them charging you two and a half grand to be in their group however at the end of the day <laughs> what we need to do is get everyone to come back to the tables and present to the teacher and just say, look, here's what we have found out. And yeah, you're going to get some of the kids throwing stuff at other kids while they're presenting and maybe some booze and, you know, heckling. But everyone's got a piece to say. And at the end of the day, it could all be right. It could all be wrong or it could be something in between. And I think that's that's what we're missing is just that coming together piece just now is a little bit lacking. And there's, there's a little bit too much separation in those groups. Would you agree or disagree with that, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I, I agree uh, more than I disagree. I do think there is a uh, uh, and I, I, I know I might get some hate for this and I know Ra- Ralph Blumenthal said it. Um, I do think there tends to be an immaturity that occurs in this UFO community at times. I mean, look, we're talking about flying saucers and little green men like there. I understand why someone not interested in this topic would look at us and be like, wow, this person never grew up. Um, but, but on the flip side of that, uh, there are brilliant, brilliant minds looking at this topic. It is worth looking at. It will change the world in the many forms it takes. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think there are times where certain groups and it's just like any field, Andy, let's be honest outside the UFO field, any field squabbles, they, they, uh, gossip, they, they disagree. So I can't pretend that it's just the UFO world that does this, but there does tend to be a very passionate, um, stance by a lot of people and belief can cloud that it really, really can. And so I think if we continue to just be open-minded, listen to one another and learn from it, I think that's like you said, that's when we can try to find answers. Again, I never even like attempted or really put much stock into CE5. And now I'm like, oh my God, if I'm interviewing people who talk about this and have made contact, why can't I try it myself? So that's something that I'm like, I need to be more understanding, listen more, and uh, and go with this and try it and see if there's something to it. So yeah, for anyone listening who um, you know who is not looking at certain aspects of this phenomenon, just look at it, give it a try. It might not be for you, but uh, it could also change your life. So yeah. And listen, I'll chime in on the CE five thing, Ryan. Now. I very I live in a nice area, not a lot of light light pollution. It's quite rural, um, a lot of fields in the northeast of England. And just the other night, again, I've talked about I walk my dog late at night. There's a lot of stars in the sky. It was a clear night, and it was after speaking to Jay, and I'd done the whole. Okay, I'm going to stand. I put the dog back in the house, and just looking up at the stars. And people say, you know, project your thoughts. Just talk to the sky. You know, ask something to appear. After about a minute of looking about light comes across the sky not a big flashing light about the size of a star but clearly moving across the sky i see plenty of satellites i'm used to seeing the iss passing overhead check that there was nothing due okay and then i'm looking at this thing and you're kind of you know flash it wasn't flashing back at anything like that but it certainly did look it was slowing down and speeding up and slowing down and speeding up and then just headed off into the horizon was it a ufo was it just a satellite and it's just a trick of the light you know on your eyes Mm. who knows but yeah i I could it's something i definitely want to explore a little bit more um 
but it's CE5. I, th- I think there's something to it. There's there's too many people I speak to off air or I'm I'm kind of friends with now that do practice and they wouldn't be making it up for a one-on-one conversation. So I, I think there's something worth exploring in it. I, I completely agree with you. And it's something I do want to explore because that is kind of the way my research is going is I want to open up the dialogue and talk to someone who may not just look at nuts and bolts ufology or a, uh, you know, a paranormal researcher or uh, or a psychic or this or a cryptid hunter. Like, let's see if there is some sort of string theory between all of these topics. And maybe that will bring us closer to answers or it's just going <laughs> to spin us off our axis and we're going to go crazy. But, dude, we have to try it because, look, we don't have an answer. We never have and we might never get one. But uh, let's just keep it going. And, you know. The journey is far more rewarding than the destination, I feel. And I'll apologise to the listeners for stealing part of their time here asking questions. So let me move on to Brian's question. Um, Brian wants to know, for folks who are new to learning about the phenomenon, what are your top three recommendations, Ryan, for books, shows or documentaries? Anything you suggest people try out to get into the subject? Oh, oh, God, so many. Um, Let's see. Well, I mean, let's go with the most current TV unidentified. Please watch the show Um, again. We're getting accounts and testimony like we've never gotten before and uh, very, very high level people coming forward and making moves in in politics and bureaucracy and everything in between and having headway. I mean, look, we're living in an age where the Senate Intelligence Committee is creating a UFO task force or wants to or hopes to or possibly had before. Uh, We don't really know. But um, please check out Unidentified. I think they're doing awesome work. Um, Documentaries, I'd say look at anything by James Fox, uh, the filmmaker. Um, out of the blue i know what i saw uh, especially his upcoming film the phenomenon again these are the most credible accounts ever brought forward um and james just does an incredible job of presenting it in a in a digestible way and um again just ups the credibility of everything going on and um in that same vein with books ufos generals pilots and government officials go on the record by leslie kane our uh freelance investigative journalist who is pumping out these new york times articles uh it's one of the most incredible books on the topic out there again if you're just getting interested in the topic it's a good place to start and look at the most credible cases out there before really getting into the uh the more fantastical stuff and um yeah man uh articles Check out openminds.tv. Alejandro Rojas does some really good stuff over there. Check out Bryce Sable over at Medium. And um, yeah, check out my buddies over at rogueplanet.tv. They do a lot of really cool, hip, fresh stuff too when it comes to UFOs. So yeah, if I could have any recommendations, those would probably be it. And I'll throw in for Brian, you should pick up a copy of Somewhere in the Sky, second edition, oh. a human approach to the UFO phenomenon as well. You can't plug your own book in that, but yeah, that that's that's fair enough to throw in, I think. <laughs> I'm so, so bad at promoting myself, man. <laughs> Uh, you had an hour that's enough <laughs> so thanks for that one brian listen um av shame has uh, put a question on here but they've asked me to change the burden of it slightly for you so in order for the subject to be taken seriously ryan what would you do about grifters and out and out conspiracy theorists that are polluting the subject mm. 
there there will always be grifters trust me uh, i've spoken to them i've trusted them i've distrusted them i've trusted them again <laughs> it's uh it's a very toxic relationship man but um yeah there will always be someone who will take advantage of people's beliefs and again that goes outside the ufo field as well and um if they don't have beliefs they'll pay for someone to tell them what to believe in so yeah it's kind of a vicious cycle in my opinion, but um, I, I've seen it in action, like I said. So when you have vulnerable people who may have seen or uh, experienced something truly anomalous, uh, a lot of the times they just want an answer. And when someone says that they have those answers, then and it's the absolute truth and nothing else, uh, you have to be very cautious. Nobody has the answers, like we've said before. Not me, not UFO Twitter, not CE5, not U.S. government or military. And, you know, I'm not knocking any of those things. I think we all have small pieces of the puzzle to put together. So, uh, yeah, I, I sort of, you know, pivoting to the conspiracy theorist thing, um, a good friend of mine, colleague, someone, some of your listeners may know, John Tenney. I heard him recently talking about this and it really stuck with me. You know, we, we used to look at conspiracy theory as a way to, uh, stretch our common sense thinking and to, um, to question things. And that was good. It's healthy to do that and to not just take someone's word for things. But, uh, I think, like I mentioned earlier, within the last, two decades especially with social media the conspiracy theory thing has just become a complete complete cesspool and uh it's become the antithesis of what it sort of originally was and it relies on some of the most like base level bullshit if i can say that i apologize yeah um yeah, yeah it's 100 percent unsubstantiated extremist uh sometimes even dangerous misinformation i mean when you have people out there saying you should drink bleach to cure the coronavirus that's a problem man and when people are shooting up pizza shops in the united states because they think there's a pedophile ring in the basement um that's when you've entered you've crossed the line so it's a very fine line um, I'm not saying there's not truth to conspiracy theories because there are and there have been conspiracies that have been proven. But I think we have to be very careful in today's world because people don't go any further than a headline that they read. And that can be extremely dangerous and it's a slippery slope. So, yeah, don't accept everything at face value. Do your own research and, um, yeah, face reality. I think a lot of the times people – they believe these things because they don't want to accept the reality that maybe something is as boring as it actually is or or maybe it's scarier than they they're willing to accept. So they will take the conspiracy and run with it. So, yeah, um, I don't know if that answered the question, but those are my frustrating thoughts on conspiracy theory, because I do get asked a lot, like, are you a conspiracy theorist? I'm like, no. I, I, I'm not actually, I do believe that often the easiest answer is the explanation. So yeah, um, take it with a grain of salt and, um, just be very, very careful. No, thank you for that. That's a good question as well. Uh, next was. question I've got from Shauna, uh, Shauna. So she's put here, it's a lengthy question for Ryan, but trust me, Shauna, this was not 
the largest question I got by a margin. Um, it's, not, it's not too bad. So she cited the History Channel Season 3, Episode 7 of Aliens, Plagues and Epidemics. Scientists are continually challenged by unidentified strains of bacteria with mysterious origins. She mentions the Black Death of the Middle Ages, bubonic plague, the Spanish flu, and now COVID in 2020, causing a lot of deaths, obviously, worldwide. People are reporting UFOs like never before as well. Some folk might see this as a cleansing of the human race. Now, obviously, we've literally just talked about conspiracy theorists. What would your thoughts be on on that? I've heard the theories that possibly COVID could be an alien virus. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 oh, man, this is tough because I'm open to a lot of things. But I think the responsible thing to do is to listen to our scientists, listen to our healthcare workers, and just do the smart thing and trust them. Now, I know some of your listeners may disagree with me, and maybe there is more to this whole COVID thing than, than we think. But for me personally, I still have a lot of trust in our healthcare workers and um in our emergency workers our first responders and also in our scientists so when they say that this came from possibly you know a strain that was passed from an animal to a human i i will go with that at the end of the day i don't care where the virus came from i want it to go away I want it to go away so that I can go back to my city that I love and that I can go back to the job that I love and that we can all move on with our lives. So, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. And um, maybe there's some sort of connection or maybe uh, we're just living in an age where anything can happen. 2020 has been the most batshit insane year I think us and even our parents have ever lived through. So, I mean, if we're going to have a pandemic happen and also find out that uh, extraterrestrials have been visiting us for centuries. Cool. I'm down with it. Like, let's go full throttle 2020. Um, but <laughs> yeah, man, it's uh, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. I, I don't really know how to answer that except uh, everyone, please be safe, be smart and be healthy. That's all I can say. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Sean. And that's, that's a fair response as well, Ryan. I think something that I found quite amusing that was probably shares my thoughts on a lot of this stuff on on twitter today was bill gates isn't trying to microchip you by creating a vaccine steve jobs microchipped you years ago and charged you a thousand dollars for the privilege as well so i think there's, <laughs> a, there's there's a lot of people out there you know looking for yeah. a lot of different answers and a lot of things but you know you know if, if a lot of this stuff wanted to happen it, it, it's too late it's happened already or but yeah it's an interesting theory and maybe it did arrive on a meteor from another planet we, we don't know do we but yeah abs i would echo stay safe everyone and you know just be sensible um yeah yeah question, man, it's scary it's scary too we don't we live in uncertain times so i don't i don't blame people for trying to uh you know come up with explanations as to what is happening that's what we do as human beings you know we want to know why things happen but sometimes we don't get those answers it's like watching jumanji as a documentary basically that's the way 2020 is gone it's <laughs> Question for Ryan from Ashley. Uh, part of this you've answered, but then the second part I think is a nice question. What experience got you into the field of UFOs and what is your favourite part of your job? Oh, man. So uh, obviously my initial sighting was the impetus for me getting involved. Um, I was terrified of what I saw 
when I was a kid. And, um, you know, it, it did affect me mentally. I had nightmares for years after that. And I didn't trust the reality I was really living. Um, and I became obsessed with trying to find answers until I accepted I probably wouldn't know what I ever saw that night. Could have been military. Uh, could have been a blimp. Could have been a you know, UFO from Zeta Reticuli. I don't know. But um, yeah, that was kind of my my dive into all this. And I would say the the thing that I love most about this job is not finding the answer to the UFO phenomenon, but meeting people along the way. Uh, people like you, Andy, and people like my mentor, Peter Robbins, the investigative journalist and uh, UFO researcher, and the amazing friends and relationships that have grown from this. Look, we talk about crazy stuff, uncomfortable things, and that's a trust between people who take it seriously. So I have made some of the most strongest bonds with people in this world of ufology and the paranormal and esoteric and everything in between. So the favorite thing for me, man, has been meeting people that I never would have met if I didn't get involved in this topic and showing me just how different and amazing the world can be. I mean, look, I'm in Hawaii, you're in Scotland, and we're having a conversation. That blows my mind that we can do that. <laughs> you know, speaking as, you know, someone um, right on the cusp of being a millennial, uh, that's awesome. And um, that's what's exciting is that we can have these conversations and that um, we can actually not laugh about it. It's awesome. It's awesome. And, and listen, I'll have to correct you, Ryan, for any Scottish listeners. I'm actually in the north of England, but obviously from Scotland. Any Ooh. Scottish listeners would not let you away with that one. So, but yeah. As they should not. Dude, uh, I am the worst with geography and i apologize for that oh m listen my geography goes as far as up down left and right and over there <laughs> so uh, i'll that's totally fine uh, thanks for that question ashley um tara sent me a mega blog uh, which she disguised in the form of a question uh <laughs> so she actually interrupted her cycle to go off and write the question so i appreciate that and um, but it boils down to uh, she wanted to know our thoughts ryan on the tic tac videos one aspect of them that she feels that were massively missed out or a huge a huge mind blower for her where the fact is david fravor discussed they showed up at pre-planned coordinates um forgive me what was the point called again there was a point for it um mm. Yeah, it, I, I, it escapes my mind right now. But yeah, there, there was a point where they planned to show up out in the middle of nowhere, and that's where they would basically meet as part of a training exercise. The the tic tac craft basically shot off from David Fravor and appeared at that point. And she feels there's a, a massive element of communication there, and she wants to know what your thoughts are on that being a legitimate communication from a different race or being uh, with ourselves. What do you think about that? Is it too scary to think about, or is it linking the psychological conscious aspects of the phenomenon? Oh, probably everything. That's a really, really good question. Um, I do think there is a strong possibility that communication between us and any sort of intelligence behind these ufos is done through the consciousness i i do believe that i've seen so many cases where this seems to be the case and uh i do think you know if we can't communicate whether through uh a transponder on a plane look fravor or uh 
Parvish Jafari back during the Tehran 1976 UFO event. If they tried to communicate with whatever this UFO was, who are you? Why are you here? Get out of this space. Um, it didn't happen. And uh, there's probably reasons for that. So maybe it does have to do with consciousness or a psychic aspect to all this. If it is a non-human intelligence behind this. The other point she makes is coordinates. And I think this is a very interesting side of the Tic Tac UFO event that I've spoken to Kevin Day about. Again, the radar operator during the event, Gary Voorhees, uh, and several others as well. And a interview I recently did with Tim McMillan, uh, writing for Popular Mechanics. He is looking into some very, very profound theories on the Tic Tac UFO event that I personally cannot share right now um, due to legal reasons. Uh, but I'll, I'll pose this question, Andy. Is it possible that the entire Tic Tac UFO event was planned? And I don't mean by the UFO. I don't mean by the Navy. I could mean both. I could mean neither. And I know that is an extremely uh, passive way of answering the question. But all I can say is look forward to what's to come from Tim McMillan. Because when I was told something off the record about this event... Uh, it blew my mind. And again, uh, Joe, if you're out there, I love you, man. I'm not the hype guy. I don't want to be the hype guy. So, uh, Joe, get in touch with Tim. <laughs> I hope they're both listening to this and, uh, look forward to what's to come on the Tic Tac UFO event. Cause we are not done by a long shot. I look forward to Ryan's five part mega blog and Joe's six part mega blog following that up. Uh, angry about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a good question. Thanks for that, Ryan. Um, next question from Andrew Hall, the host over at Dead Hand Radio. Um, he wants to know, what is the most disturbing eyewitness encounter you've ever investigated? Hmm. Man, that's tough. I'm trying to go back in the memory banks. Uh, Disturbing-wise, I would say there was a case in the first edition of the book and also a follow-up in the new edition with a woman named Patty and she had a triangular UFO sighting above her home in Michigan uh, with her daughter, who also saw the same UFO, came out, saw it with her mom. Uh, what was really interesting about this one is when they looked up at this UFO at the same time and were experiencing it, they had completely different perceptions of what was happening. The mother felt euphoric, calm. Everything was calm, serene euphoric she she loved the experience and silent and everything in between and she looked over at her daughter and her daughter was in the fetal position on the ground covering her ears saying how loud the object was above her and she felt threatened and this and that and that was a turning point for me where i'm like oh my god like this has a lot to do with perception and how we each perceive certain things our own reality in that moment and maybe the ufo is in control of that or maybe it's not i don't know but um what was more disturbing about this one andy is after that uh they had just the most traumatizing high strangeness experiences in their home i mean their electricity would go out at all times of the day and night and it was extremely stressful for them People came out to fix the electricity and saw UFOs over the home and just drove off and never came back. Um, you know, it 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 affected the woman's marriage. 
Um, it affected her relationship with the daughters. They started having poltergeist activity, things flying throughout the home. Uh, one of the daughters seen dark figures going everywhere in every room of their home, and it just tore this family apart. So, you know, it might not be dark and sensational, but it's a lot, and it was a lot for this family to handle, and it really drove a wedge between all of them. So in the new edition, I do a follow-up of what has happened since, and I I have some happy stories to share about what's happened since and some not so happy. And again, like we can't tie these things up with a bow and say we're done. Um, it's hard for each of them. It was disturbing. It was scary. It was beautiful. And um, it was messy, as these things often are. Last listener question is from my often co-host Dan uh, at The Signal on Twitter. And he said, uh, thank you, Ryan, for your work. He wants to know, and this is something I'm curious about too. So on Twitter, Dan had asked you whether you'd heard about any attempts to use nuclear material to attract UFOs or to make contact. And your response, Ryan, was, have I got a story for you? You didn't follow up to anyone who said that. And any chance you could tell the story, please? Uh, God damn it, Dan. No, that's my fault. Um, that is a awesome question. Um, and uh, all I can say is my response to the last listener question. Uh, follow the work of Tim McMillan um, and just know that we have not heard the end of the Tic Tac UFO event. That's all I can say on that. And I apologize. Um, again, I'm not trying to be vague. I uh, I probably shouldn't have tweeted that out. I know we all regret certain tweets we've had. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but hey, I got the, I got the fire going under Dan. And um, I'm so happy he asked me that because I deserve getting asked that question for having done that tweet. <laughs> I got a lot of hate for it and people saying, tell us, tell us, tell us. And I've learned my lesson to uh to not tease things and not to be too vague so uh yeah just look forward to the work by tim mcmillan and um the story's not over by a long shot no i can appreciate that i, I spoke with tim he was one of my four, first guests at episodes four and five it was a bit of a two-parter i believe just like you've just had as well and yeah tim hinted at a lot of work that was coming in the future so that that's fair enough uh that tim's a cool guy as well so you wouldn't want to step on any toes so nope. look forward to seeing that coming out in the near future so we're going to move on to the the kind of quick fire round ryan and this will be as quick fire as you want it to be because some of the topics i'd love to hear your thoughts on just things that we can't cover in the body of the interview otherwise this would go four or five hours um, <laughs> maybe keep some of it for the next one we'll do a second edition of the podcast um, yeah absolutely i'm good at second editions i guess <laughs> yeah no listen i'll have to learn that as well following your footsteps so the, the first one's quite a big question and i don't know how much you'll answer of this but the phenomena itself what do you think it is ryan um i don't know and I think that's the most responsible answer I can give. Uh, I have theories. I have thoughts. I think it could be a plethora of things. Um, phenomena is a way I really like to look at it, as Lou Elizondo does as well. Um, I don't think we're dealing with one thing, one anomaly, one intelligence. And I do think it's everything and nothing all at once. So I think that's really, man, the most honest answer I can give. There's some UFOs I think could be extraterrestrial. There's some I think could be um, interdimensional. 
or uh, us from the future or <laughs> or none of those things. So, yeah, I cannot pretend to have a solid answer of what the phenomenon or phenomena are. Um, but I I'm willing to go down any route to try to find answers. And I'm also willing to change my mind, which a lot of people are not willing to do. I'm not afraid to be wrong. I'm not afraid to change my mind. And uh, yeah, I hope it's everything. And I hope um, I hope it's. I hope whatever it is that it's here, it's interested in us for um, good reasons, uh, no matter who, what, or where they are. And, and that's, again, I'll say that's a fair response because my, my opinion is very malleable and fluid on the co- the topic. And I think for me to boil it down where I'm at right now with a lot of it is, and especially what Lou Elizondo and those types of people are getting at, it's, it's not just the what these things are but i think a lot of it will answer why things are in general and also yeah. how things how things kind of work you know if you ever want to know the meaning of life and the mysteries of the universe i think a lot of that's tangled up within that this whole the phenomena as it's called so yeah no i i, would, I see why you've you've went down that route uh to the stars academy we've touched on you said you agree with some things disagree with others i'm a massive fanboy for ttsa that's not to say they are perfect by any means but I feel I understand where they're going with what they're doing and why they're going about it that way. So let's talk a lot about Two the Stars Academy. Yeah, let's dive in. So when those articles first hit, the first article in New York Times, December 2017, and we got those videos, what were your initial responses and thoughts? Uh, holy shit. I mean, that yeah. that was my, I literally said that out loud when I when I saw that that article drop i um and i was i will admit i was scared just like anyone who wasn't involved with a ufo topic looking at that and being like oh my god like what what is what is happening here so even as someone who has been uh looking at this topic for so long um and being blindsided with this fact that the u.s pentagon was looking into this there were videos they didn't know what they were uh that that was concerning um, but look, that's what we've been chasing this entire time. So I thought it was uh, a bombshell uh, in the best way we can use that word. I thought it was exciting. I thought it was scary. And my initial impression was things are about to change. Uh, New York Times has covered UFOs in the past, but not to this extent and not you know, with this many heavy hitters involved. So my initial impression was, holy shit. And from there, it's just continued to be holy shit. I had a massive frustration with it very quickly. I had all of those thoughts you had. However, just the way I think as well, if someone had asked the day before that article dropped, unless you had prior knowledge, if you asked any skeptic or just your, the general public or even a believer, you know, anyone in ufology, Tomorrow, a major news outlet is going to run a story confirming the government has a UFO program. They're going to release some videos. You're going to see some pictures, and they're going to be truly unidentified craft. What do you? Th- and you would get. I think you would get. No, that'll never happen. And yeah, that would be enough for me. That would be proof. That would be incredible. And for me, it dropped. It happened, and most people shrugged their shoulders and just went oh, and moved on. And I was like, that. That's the problem. It's never enough. What? Yeah. What would be enough? And it's. If if you're talking about you know smoking guns and that would have been that would have been it and something myself and Jay talked about a few a few nights ago was 
the fact that an article, this is where we're at in ufology, an article has just dropped again in the New York Times that has cited crash retrieval programs. And there are quotes, regardless of the context, around off-world vehicles. Mm-hmm. And it made page 17. And for mm-hmm. me, it's like if someone had said a couple of years ago that sort of content would be in a major news outlet, you would never have believed them. And here we are getting that content and people are still arguing and frustrated. And it's not, the conversation's definitely moving forward. There's been that paradigm shift in the, the way people are thinking, but it's still a very slow pl- process as, as part of disclosure. And for me, it's it's never going to be enough for most people. And that's where I've had some frustrations with it. Um, but but TTSA, what they've done, whether people have liked it or not, there's been a lot of controversies. The the media side of things, I think they've been pretty transparent from the start that they've always announced they had the plan to raise shares. They had the plan to have the media part of the company. They wanted to write fiction and non-fiction novels to get their stories out there. They wanted to produce TV series and movies. What's your thoughts been on TTSA as a, a media company? I think it's probably one of the most uh, ambitious things Tom DeLong could have done. I mean, I remember meeting Tom, uh, man, I don't know, six, five or six years ago at a UFO conference. He was like off in the corner and I had to do a double take. I'm like, is that the guy that I used to listen to at concerts drunk when I was like 18 years old? Yeah. <laughs> what is going on here? Um, and then when I learned he had this extreme interest in the topic, I'm like, that's really cool. And then we saw the progression of Tom's interest just build and build and build. And he became more vocal about it up until this. And look, Tom has tried some incredible things in his time. He started different companies, stopped others. He is a passionate, ambitious person. And that's you can't fault him for that. So has he made mistakes along the way? Of course. You know, like I said earlier, there's tweets I've regretted. There's probably stuff he said that he's regretted. Uh, I'm thinking of the Joe Rogan interview in particular. But um, but besides that, the the creation of To the Stars Academy um, is interesting. I understand why people are skeptical or hesitant. Um, I mentioned the name John Tenney before. This guy's been in this weird world of ufos for decades and decades and he's seen stuff like this happen before so i don't blame the older guard as it were of ufology to for saying be careful like people promise things and they don't happen or it's not what you think and maybe that could happen with what to the stars is doing but you're right they've been extremely upfront and uh transparent about their what they were doing from the very start. And Tom even said, I remember from the very, very start said, my goal is to get information about UFOs, maybe build one even. But my, my goal also on the other side of that in negotiation is to paint the military industrial complex in a good light and to promote the military as a positive thing. And we see that playing out. That's why all of this is painted as a threat. Because that's what the military deals with. That's what the DOD deals with. That's what Lou Elizondo did for most of his life is he fought terrorism. He fought, you know, possible incursions of our nation. And I don't blame him for taking this threat narrative with all of this. So, um, yeah, man, I know that's kind of rambling. But at the end of the day, I highly respect everything they're doing. Um, 
I think it's awesome that we're getting a podcast by To The Stars now where we get to dig deeper and they do answer listener questions. And everything they're doing is leading to something. And there's a reason that all of this information is, I think, rolling out quicker than I think even To The Stars expected it to. What Mm -hmm. that reason is, I don't know. Um, I know Jeremy McGowan spoke to both you and I about their – there's a reason for all of this. Trust me. Um, don't know when it's going to come, but it's probably going to come quicker than any of us expected. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's wrong. But I highly, highly respect the work that they're doing at To The Stars Academy. I try to remain an objective person in covering it as responsible as a journalist or a freelance writer can do. Um, I do not have any financial stake in the company, but I support them, you know. I rock to the Stars Academy t-shirts. I've got all the books. I try to read between the lines of the truth and fiction in, the, in everything they're doing. And I, I look forward to everything that they come out with. And then it's up to you to decide whether you want to follow that or not. So, um, yeah, all the power to them. Um, they are passionate. They have changed the entire landscape of the conversation. And I really, really look forward to whatever's to come next for sure. Yeah, at the end of the day, Tom DeLong is not in this for money. He had more money than he ever needed. Uh, he's very passionate <laughs> yeah. about the subject. Some of the things he's talked about on Twitter, you know, the seven part, uh, the seven part tweets about Atlantis, and I don't know if you ever saw the "What if there was a civilization here? What if this? What if the stories yeah. about Atlantis?" And I imagine there's a lot of people he speaks to. Maybe Lou, maybe Chris Mellon, I'll put off. We'd read those tweets and send him a little private message saying, "Tom, come on, we told you about <laughs> that. Stop." However, we've all been there. Yeah. Yeah, that that's it. But for me. I'm a massive fan of the company. Yep, there's that frustration around going a little bit dark, if you want to call it that, with the the government involvement. However, I think that can be seen as a good thing too. So yeah, we'll we'll definitely see what happens at the end of it. But let's hope it's going in a good place. Um, Someone who has tenuous links with Two of the Stars, if if only through a company that published his autobiography, would be Bob Lazar. What what are your general thoughts? Because that this is it's incredible. Bob Lazar as a story now is over thirty years old. Um, a lot of controversy surrounds some of the discrepancies in his history. But let's be honest, most presidents it seems these days can't prove you know where they're born, what their race is, or where they went to school. So why not Bob Lazar? Um, again, is it nitpicking? Is there something to his story? What what are your thoughts on how the Bob Lazar story has evolved? I. I met Bob, I think the same year I met Tom DeLong, actually, or saw Tom DeLong. I guess I had a, a Bigfoot sighting of Tom DeLong. <laughs> um, I think it was him. Uh, I have always stood firm on my stance on Bob Lazar. I believe Bob Lazar did what he said he did. I believe he worked on something very exotic something he could not understand something his uh colleagues could not understand and i do believe that he was told the things he was told uh and that he saw what he saw um other than that is it true was it a extraterrestrial craft were there nine saucers um was he shown images of alien bodies um i don't know i can't pretend to know 
Um, or was that information given to him as part of some sort of disinformation campaign? That's very possible. So when it really comes down to it, man, um, it is one of the most sordid, controversial stories within ufology. Um, it's interesting. It's extraordinary. But like Mellon always says, extraordinary claims uh, need extraordinary evidence or proof. And if Bob Lazar is going to come forward with these things, he has to be willing to take the uh, the hits and the scrutiny. And uh, he has. And I think he's done a good job at at battling a lot of that. So at the end of the day, I think he is a very um, genuine person in how he's related his story. And look, man, after meeting him uh, face to face, it doesn't change uh, if he's telling the truth or not. But I I tend to think I'm a good judge of character. And this guy does not want fame. He does not want acknowledgement. He wanted to get the story out there and be done with it. Um, but people have pulled him out of the woodwork to tell it again. And maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. I don't know. But uh, end of the day, we still have the story. Um, we have the the book that came out in his own words, supposedly. If he did write the autobiography, I don't know. Uh, but it's an interesting story. It'll never go away. People are very passionate about it, as they are many other things. And um, I hope that someday we'll know and maybe he'll finally get that vindication. Uh, he tends to think he did with this off-world vehicle uh, thing in the New York Times, but I'm still I'm still iffy about all that. So, yeah, again, uh, hopefully we'll know the truth someday. But I believe that he saw and did what he said he did. What that was, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> yeah, you've covered that pretty well. I would just say, and this doesn't come from a place of knowledge, just a gut feeling. I don't think his story is finished yet, and I think there's still more to come. And whether that is no. a total debunking of the story and proving it's false, or the opposite, where he gets that proper vindication of Juno Water. Maybe not for him, because he feels he's got it, but for those of us who maybe follow the story and want to know and want it to be true that we find out, yep, here we go, this guy was telling the truth from the start. So I think that's still to come. What about your thoughts Your thoughts on um, the mysterious Skinwalker Ranch? Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, I watched the television show. I've spoken to individuals who've been on the ranch, uh, whether as a journalist or as a investigator. And uh, everyone says the same thing, man. It's a weird strange place it has an aura to it uh it <laughs> everything you could think of has happened there it's a living laboratory of strange weird stuff and um you just look at the history of the area itself and that's fascinating also so you know um i am completely open to the possibility that this is a condensed area of high strangeness that maybe there's every possible mystery going on there we can think of um i look forward to the scientific exploration being done by the television show again tv affords resources you cannot get anywhere else and i can speak from experience when working in the the realm of television i was given resources to investigate cases that i never would have gotten on my own or been able to to really dive into um the Roswell incident in specific. I was able to get metals tested at an aerospace laboratory. I mean, could you imagine if I tried to do that myself or like crowdfund for something like that? It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Those things are expensive. So look, um, whether you love or hate the television show, um, 
they have the resources to do things that we have not been able to do before at that ranch. We have a very transparent and open owner right now who's willing to share that information, whereas the previous owner, everything he did had to be given over to the government because they were funding it. So, look, I think it's awesome. I think um, I think it's exciting. I think it's another part of the puzzle to fit together. And, um, yeah, man, let's hope to the stars and the guys over at Skinwalker can get together. Can you, can you imagine what they could do if they put the resources together? Uh, that would be like a good Christmas special. Christmas is always <laughs> good for crossovers, like Simpsons Family Guy, all that kind of stuff. And yep. You could have like a history channel, you know, get those guys involved with each other. Brandon Fugel talking to Luella Zondo or Tom DeLonge would be would be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I'd be all for that. Uh, the New York Times articles now, they've, we've had the big splash in December 2017. We have had a couple of follow-up articles and I think some people forget that it's not just been two articles. There's been quite a lot of little pieces and Leslie Keane and Ralph Blumenthal were quite keen to say that, that this is something that they've continued to report on, albeit it's not always been the big headline stories. What's your thoughts been on the impact they've had and do you feel there's more to come from the New York Times? Absolutely, there is more to come. I mean, if you look at the last two articles, uh, a lot of people were, you know, a little deflated on the information brought forward. A lot of it was already out there in the public. And um, like you mentioned earlier, like a page 17, that's that's easy to miss. Let's be completely honest. It's not on the cover. Um, so a lot of people may not have even read it. But now you have this this uh, this buzzword, I guess, buzzwords of off-world vehicles, and that's what's out there now. And that was interesting that it came like, what, some 15 paragraphs into the, the initial article? Um, not the 2017 one, but the current one. Um, like, really? You're going to bury the lead that far into the article? But again, that all comes down to the editors um, and the people at the New York Times. I'm sure... There was more to this article that Leslie and Ralph worked on that did not make it in. And none of us can pretend to have an answer to why that is or or uh, or how. But I thought the the first article was interesting. Um, I am still really on the fence with the quotes by Reed and Eric Davis and all of that controversy behind the off-world vehicle comments um, because it seems like it's just messy, man. It's messy. And the fact that the New York Times didn't put an exact quote or source to where that information came from, uh, I don't understand why someone who carefully vets and fact-checks as much as the New York Times does, why they would do that. I don't blame Ralph or Leslie for that. They stick firmly to the article they wrote, and um, that's what we have. But I know Ralph has said there's more to come. And if this is how it's going to come, like maybe one paragraph at a time um, mixed in with all this other sort of surface-level stuff or um, already substantiated things, that's fine. You know, We are used to reading between the lines in this field, and maybe that's the way we're going to get it now. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I thought the articles were interesting. Uh, they weren't the bombshell that 2017 was, but Leslie Kane even said <laughs> it was hard to – to really live up to that one because we had so much information we dropped it all at once and that's a powerful thing to do and i do think you know slow and steady horse wins the race so 
Hopefully we'll get more as time goes on, but I have no doubt we're not done. Um, just from a business stance, the clicks and reads that they get from these UFO articles are massive. So they're of course they're going to keep doing it, just from a business stance. And now it's up to Ralph and Leslie and whoever else is writing about it for that venue to do it as best they can in a responsible light, in a fact-by-fact basis. And maybe we will get more information on these off-world vehicles. I don't know. Yeah, I think the like Tim McMillan said, wasn't it, around a thousand words he was under the impression had been cut out of it, which was around about half the article. And I wonder, this isn't opinion, but is it a tactic from, from a journalistic perspective? And if you're one of the multiple editors looking to put that sort of incredible story in your in your publication, do you just drop something in there that, that fantastic, if we want to use that word, in you know, paragraph 15 about off-world vehicles because you've put it there, it's out there, but you've dangled the carrot and it's just, it's, it's buried, but it's, it's buried in plain sight. And then in future, the tactic is you bring that a little bit further forward and then it's on a bigger article and there's a bit more detail on it and it's that drip feeding of information because maybe it is a little bit too, you know, world news today to just put that on a front page and, I mean, there's not going to be a picture of a crashed flying saucer. You know, that that's just a fact. So mm-hmm. maybe this is, like you're saying, slow and steady wins the race. The information's there. It's slowly coming out, as frustrating as that might be. But the the big thing for me is this has to go more international as well. There's, there's a yeah. world outside of the United States, and they've got their part to play in this too. Uh, the UK, obviously, I've, I've talked about this recently more and more. It's frustrating for me because the story gets no coverage here. It's uh, on our news site. You'll get Sky News or BBC News, the biggest companies, and there might be a number nine trending on the website as you know, US DOD confirms UFO video is real. And that's it. It's nothing more than a reference at the side of the scroll on the page. There's no con on it they're not particularly interested you know jeremy corbell done a radio interview on one of the bbc radio shows the other day but there's multiple bbc radio channels and again it's it's a media that it's not getting the the nation's eye and it's just something that particularly in the uk and britain in general the appetite isn't there for it we would need something a bit bigger and more sensational to be in the news you know for for the story to really take off but for me the international community has to get more involved and it would be interesting to see as we saw a little bit of Unidentified Episode 4, where Luella Zondo's, you know, going through South America and talking to these delegates yeah. and government officials. But we, we know South America has that history, and I think that connection still with this type of phenomena. They report it on their news. You see clips and UFO sightings being reported as this was seen today above, you know, some, you know, Mexican city, or I'm not saying every night, but it happens. You would never get that in the UK. It would never yeah. happen here. It would be a, a laughing, you know, joke, regional news story, and that would be it. So that that's where I think there's a lot of work still to be done. But yeah, hope, hopefully there's, there's more still to come in the near future as well. Uh, two more topics I want to get your, your uh, thoughts on, and you touched on it earlier. You've got the Senate Intelligence Committee. As in the last three months, I've learned more about US politics than I ever could have at school. Um, but <laughs> The, the big headline from the recent, you know, acts where the UAP task force being mentioned as a thing. And again, that's another 2020 crazyism that we are talking about UAP task forces being created. Mm-hmm. But Space Force sounded crazy enough, but we've now got a UAP task force. What are your thoughts on the UAP task force and what it's going to be? 
I'm I'm excited and I'm also hesitant. Um, I I do wonder what the true impetus is behind this, Andy. And I mean, I I think it's very good that Chris Mellon had a lot to do with how this bill is being drafted, the wording, what will be made available to the public, what will not. Um, I think it's good. I think it's it was carefully done. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I believe that this bill in the United States will pass because I think there is uh, no reason not to do it. Um, but at the same time, we have to wonder why and who's involved. And um, look, Marco Rubio has been extremely vocal about it, and um, he's brought up some good points. Like, are these UFOs? Could they be Russian? Could they be from China? Are they extraterrestrial? And he made a good point of saying, I almost hope that it's extraterrestrial because if it is a rival nation or another, you know, um, you know, bordering state doing things that we we are not privy to, uh, that is almost scarier. And I tend to agree with them with that. So um, I think it's interesting. UFO task force. uh, That's a very loaded term. Um, They're saying that it's being done through the uh you know the naval intelligence which is interesting because we've heard of these individuals within the naval intelligence here in the united states being involved with a lot of other ufo cases uh bob lazar says that he met with some of these individuals uh the rendlesham guys say that naval intelligence was on the base with osi interviewing them during their experiences so yeah that's that's a fascinating part of the new york times article the recent one that i don't think a lot of people really paid attention to is why is this being handed over to naval intelligence is it because of the new naval protocol of reporting ufos i don't know um it's interesting so yeah um i'm hesitant because of the classified nature of this bill and um what we will be privy to we might not get anything or we might get some really cool new videos or um testimony but that classified nature of it is where i'm like ah they could slap anything classified and we won't get anything. Um, so I think there are political moves being done by those involved. Um, I think there's uh, altruistic moves being done by other people involved with it. And uh, I look forward to seeing where it goes. It's interesting. And um, never thought I'd see the day where we'd hear the term UFO task force. Uh, but we're living it, man. And uh, we got to ride that wave. And uh, hopefully it won't be a Project Blue Book part two where it's all just to downplay it and uh you know find a prosaic explanation whether there is one or not and uh if anything it keeps the conversation going it does and the last one i like to ask all my guests ryan what are your thoughts on disclosure we're living it and uh i don't you know i i i think that's it i think that the New York Times article was a huge disclosure, the 2017. I think uh, disclosure happened for Kevin Day when he tracked those UFOs. I think it happened for Fravor when he saw it. Um, I think the individual level of this, Andy, is where it's at and how disclosure happens person by person, experience by experience. I do not believe we're ever going to get that White House press conference here in the united states or in parliament elsewhere or in mexico china japan whatever it may be i don't think all the world governments are going to come together and say aliens are real they've been here 
um, you know, they've crashed here. They've landed here. Uh, yeah. We knew about it. Sorry about that. Um, I don't think that's ever going to happen. We're getting an interesting rollout by the New York Times and by diligent researchers putting in so much effort to get information out there. And maybe we can force the hand of world governments or uh, the governments of our respective nations to tell us what they know. But I don't think it's going to happen, man. I, I think they're their hand would have to be forced by the phenomenon itself. And I think that's what's happening. Witness by witness, experiencer by experiencer. And maybe gradually we will get to a point where we can all accept that something is going on and it could change humanity forever, whether that's good or bad. But Ryan, if you just want to let the listeners know how they can get a hold of your book and a little bit more about it to sign off. Oh, absolutely, man. Um, I do a weekly podcast where you can find on any podcast outlet, just like yourself. Um, I'm very active on Twitter and UFO Twitter, even though I might just lurk sometimes. Uh, you can follow me at Somewhere Skies. Otherwise, everything I do can be found at my uh, my website, somewhereintheskies.com. And yeah, books available, paperback, ebook. You can find it on my website or at Amazon. So yeah. Awesome. Ryan, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Absolutely, man. I'm glad we got to stretch our muscles and really have a good conversation. I don't get to do that often, so I have to thank you and uh, keep up the amazing work. I am a huge, huge fan. Thanks for listening, everyone, to the interview with Ryan Sprague. Just like to give a quick shout out to the new Patreons who have signed up over the last few weeks. Derek, Jeremy, Luke, Peter, Ryan, Shauna, Doug, Jennifer and Cameron all greatly appreciate your support as well as all the other Patreons already over there at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast. Folks, Rich Lenny was going to be my show this week. Rich Lenny is a British UFO researcher and has done a lot of work using night vision equipment and cameras. I had a slight issue with a little bit of the audio that I'm just getting cleaned up, but that interview will be available next week. This weekend, I'll be speaking with Philip Mantle, who has published many UFO books over here in the UK, been involved in documentaries, a talking head regularly on various different shows throughout the world, and he'll be discussing his new work as well as some of his past work as well. So really interesting show coming up. And I won't give the names away, but I then have a really special show in a few weeks' time. I'll be recording on the 22nd of August for release the following week. That'll be a very special roundtable with three guests who all shared an experience in a very famous encounter. Until I get the last person confirming the time they can do, I don't want to give away the names just yet, but please let me assure you, that is one you won't want to miss. Again, folks, please like, subscribe and retweet over at YouTube, That UFO Podcast, on the Facebook page, on Instagram, and of course on Twitter, at UFO UAP AM. Any reviews you could leave as well for the show are greatly appreciated. It gets the name of the show out there and gets plenty of feedback over to myself as well. Once again, folks, thank you very much for listening. Stay safe. Remember, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shut out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more Meditative game of fateful on meta.
imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there it was. Like you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz.